0: Hi, everyone. Producer Laura here. We just wanted to let you know that we had a few technical difficulties with the live recording of After Dark New York, so the sound isn't as crisp as we usually make it for you, so apologies for that. But it was a live show, so of course the show must go on. Thanks, everyone, and we hope you enjoy the discussion.
1: Welcome to Fintech Insider After Dark. I'm your host for today's show. I'm Sam Mall. I'm the 11FS U.S. managing partner. Today we're at Barkley Rise in New York and Manhattan, and we're live. Crowd, are we live? <laughs> I freaking love New York. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. I am joined by my co-host for the day, the a resident beard trimming expert. I also happens to be the CEO of 11FS, David Brayer. How are you, Dave? Very good. I mean, we
2: got to go in a battleship this week, so I'm like super happy. And yeah, like, you
1: also got to see the Knicks play and win.
2: I mean, I, I've acclimatized really well to, to New York, I have to say. It's like uh, Knicks jumper, like Knicks hat, like there's a whole sort of repertoire going, isn't there? It's good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I've still acclimatized to the lingo, really, yeah? I keep getting told off for like lifts and elevators, and hey. when I ask for like the gents, nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about in any way, shape, <laughs> or form. So,
1: Well, we actually, our U.S. office is in this building. We're Upper floor, upper floor. Yeah, yeah, upper floor. I got it right because we're on two right now, so we're up on three. Um, so we've launched in the
2: US. What does that mean to you? Uh, I means there's stupid amounts of opportunity over here. It's like um, oh, it's you. it's really interesting. Like the US scene, there's so many different things kind of happening out here. But for us, it's really interesting people like everybody in the audience. And actually, everybody we're talking to out here is so friendly. Uh, you know, there's, <laughs> Sorry. like gen- um, yeah. Genuinely, <laughs> like, like, gen- genuinely, we were in a coffee shop yesterday and got talking to a guy who was in RoboCop, didn't we? Yes, like, he was a lawyer in RoboCop. Yeah. Go back to watch we, RoboCop. And we were like, really, this guy's in RoboCop? But we looked him up and he actually was in RoboCop, yeah. wasn't he? So I mean, that's nothing to do with banking, but it just shows you how friendly New Yorkers are, right? Some of the friendliness might be oh, down to go. my English accent, right? <laughs> so it's like, maybe without the English accent, Everybody's just like, give me your money. Like, that might be the Yeah, yeah, that's more accurate.
1: (laughs) So for this show, for the next hour, what kind of things are we going to be talking about with this great panel up here? I mean, unpacking some of the stuff that's happening
2: over here. There's so much stuff that's happening in the UK fintech ecosystem. Um, I think, essentially, in, like, typical 11FS fashion, there's going to be, like, a million really bad Big Apple, Apple you know, seeds and core puns that we're going to be going through. Um, But generally, with these great guys kind of going through what's been happening over here and, I mean, why are we here in the first place? It's because there's cool things happening.
1: So luckily, it's not just David and I up here rambling. We've got a great number of guests for this show, and I'm going to introduce each of them. We're joined by Melissa Stevens. She's the chief digital officer for Fifth Third Bank. Melissa, how are you doing? Great, thanks. Flew in from Cincinnati. Yes. Hey. Not a native New Yorker, but a New Yorker because she bought a bunch of bagels and they're hidden over in the corner. If anybody touches those, she'll kill you because they're for her kids, right? Yeah,
3: that'd be serious trouble. That's
1: very true. We also have, I swear to God, I'm going to say this right, right? Angela Sir Esney. Oh my God. Do you like how I pause? She's Angela, rest of the show. So so Angela is the CEO of Climb Credit. She was also one of the co-founders of Orchard Platform, which sold X-City, X-Amex. Uh, she knows everything about New York and banking, and finally, <laughs> the legend <laughs> that is Chris Madrin. He's the co-founder, chief innovation officer of Button, former Venmo, English, slowly losing his accent, living in Manhattan. How you doing, Chris? I
4: love you.
1: And uh, he is on his second beer, so he should be fantastic as we throw stuff to him. This is one. This is that's true. Um, so we're going to really talk about the biggest apples. In the Big Apple. All right. And we're going to do those puns all throughout this show. I didn't write those, but I will read those. So, one, what's the biggest apple in the Big Apple? Um, well, we've got a lot of FinTech success stories that have come out of New York. But I think one that we should really talk about is Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Because when we're talking about FinTech, when we're talking about stuff that came out the door. Bo, and, Bo was like silently
2: pumping yes. the air then at that point in the, the, the corner. The
1: There's an OG. Oh, you are like. That's pretty cool. I like You just put that. somebody
2: really on the spot there. Like, uh, there's, a, there's, there's blushing yeah, hard in the front row.
1: A <laughs> line you've never heard. There's a Marcus OG in the wow. front. <laughs> never been said before. I do love you, Bo. So let's talk about Marcus a little bit, right? Um, and one of the things we're really curious about when it came into market, why do you think it was such a success? And I'm asking the folks up here, what do you think made it take off? Re- a really good rate.
2: I'd say to start with, it's you know, a very like how, do, how do consumers get involved in something is that something that they value. So like really, really good rates, people really want to kind of get involved in that, right? That was why
0: I have a Marcus account. Oh, oh did you hear that? Angela
1: with a Marcus account, a happy yeah. customer. Marcus, yeah. It is kind of funny, right? Actually have a decent product and an offering that people actually want to take up. It's amazing what you can do with that. So when you think about the success, and I'm, I'm giving Bo a ridiculous number of shout outs here. Um, so when you think about the U.S., over 4 million customers, um, you've got north of $5 billion in, custom- <laughs> in consumers' loan, accumulated close to $55 billion in deposits. Not bad. Um, in the U.K. itself, over a quarter of a million customers, if I'm not mistaken, and that was just under 12 months, $8 billion in deposits or savings. So for a bank that is 100 and I don't know how old, 1865, I think? Not bad. 150
5: years old. Okay. They just had their party.
1: Nice. Like I said, she's a, she's a real insider <laughs> when it comes to this industry. But I mean, I, I do love that story, right? An old school bank proving that you can do something a little bit different.
0: Mm
2: great. I mean, you know, old organizations can actually do stuff if they go about it in the right way. I know we had Bo on the show uh, what, like four or five weeks ago? The guy that interviewed
1: him was incredible. Was he?
2: Was he good? Like Wonderful hair too, right? American accent. Uh, (laughs) um, But yeah, I mean, if you go about anything in the right way, if you bring the right team together, obviously some of them leave at some point, just saying, on the front row. Um, But but (laughs) being in a a situation where (laughs) essentially you you pull together the right culture, you unlock it in the, the right environment, then big organizations have still got all of the customers and all of the money to invest. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's just a fintech is good and big organizations are evil. It's like if you get the right people together who
1: are really passionate about fixing real customer problems, you can do anything. Well, we have a banker up here, and Melissa, right at Fifth Third, and and you guys have had successes, right? And yeah. it's, it gets back to focusing on actual value for a customer.
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I mean, I know several people at Marcus uh, well, and I would say in addition to what shared about that. Also, what's interesting about Marcus is a breakout in a, in a bank uh, that actually wasn't focused on the consumer side before. And so unearthing an entire profit pool or an opportunity pool in a totally a totally different area that hadn't been the focus, which frankly is very hard uh, inside the walls of a company that has people who pride themselves on not being in that other side of banking, right? And so that in and of itself and solving the problem is interesting. For us at Fifth Third, it's, it's similar. We're a super regional bank. Uh, we recently uh, received our OCC National Charter. Well, uh, oh, you did get that? We did, oh. we just completed okay. the conversion last week. Um, But the focus is, how do you actually go about, I know I'm always giving shout outs to him, but how do you go about the jobs to be done, right? How do you figure out what the problems customers are trying to solve? And then how do you bring the right solutions? Mm. And how do you not, as a bank, build them all yourselves, right? And as reference, the talent makes a big difference. At Marcus, there are a lot of people recruited from a lot of great institutions, um, and some folks that were grown from within, but many people who had expertise in unique areas, they're gonna help solve the customer
2: problem. I mean, jobs to be done is massive. Sorry, holding your hand there, Sam. That was a moment. I love you. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, actually, just honestly, like, senior people in big organizations letting go of the fact that they don't really understand what it is to be, like, a normal human being walking around on the street. Right. Uh, And actually, that is just such a major part of it, isn't it? It's like a... Well, I don't think it's broken because somebody fixes my laptop in 15 seconds when it's broken. Or, right. uh, you know, I've never opened a door for myself in the last 20 years,
1: you know, like these types of things.
2: But it's like real realities of like the, the brutal realities of day to day life is just something that not everybody really understands if you're really, really senior in a big organization. But. Um, but I think, again, so much of that comes down to, I mean, I remember talking to Bo when he left Barclay Card. And actually, so much of, I think, the success is down to the way it was set up. It's not really about the, the technology or the investment. It's the fact that you have people who are passionate about fixing real problems and definitely aligning them to you know the, the frameworks that you can build out to, to make those things happen. Has, has that been your an
1: experience, Angela? I'm curious, because you've had two successful Companies right with Orchard and building that team out, and then I'd definitely coming to you for a no. rather interesting question. But on but on your side, is that have you seen that the same type of approach?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a um, first principles approach. Figure out the problem you're solving, and then build around that. Make sure there's actually a market for it. Um, at Climb, the the problem that we're solving is that uh, people want to attend vocational and skills training programs that have an, a high ROI, but there aren't great financing products available to people who want to attend those uh, programs. And so that's the problem we're solving. And it's easy to be distracted by, oh, there's a really big market over here for, so we're in student lending, there's a really big market over here for refi, or there's another really big market over here for bachelor's degrees. But that's not the customer base we're going after, and that's not the problem we're solving. So those aren't the things that we do.
1: And, and Chris, to give you a big shout out here, because again, Venmo, right? To button nice job, by the way. And now, Bud, can you describe <laughs> Button you for take everybody? All the personal yeah. no, you can uh, take. I, was, I know you, Chris. That you was all you. Right? It was. I mean, no one else was Can you describe Button for everybody if they're not familiar with Button?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So we believe that transactional revenue will eventually place, replace advertising as the way that you know businesses make money, and we make it really, really easy for businesses to adopt that. And particularly, we work with a lot of fintechs in order to introduce commerce for their users into their app in a way that drives engagement. Uh, but also is a monetization kind of angle for them. So things like Acorns um, found money and Samsung pay rewards and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And one of the things I actually love about Button, and I'm going to give them the shout out, best place to work like, I don't know, five years running now in New York. You guys are constantly recognized that. So when it comes from a culture standpoint and for the team, well done by the way. You're welcome, Nancy. Yeah, a lot of love up here right now. So now I'm going to give you the weird question. I
2: okay. mean, do you, do you feel like it's a success now that yeah. you've had Samuel's handshake? Like,
1: is I, yeah, that, like, Until
4: then,
2: you were like, we're, well, I mean, we're doing it right. But like, what's it, what's it doesn't the mean shake anything? in The Great British
4: Baking Show? where you get like that The British Bake Off. Yeah, the, the that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I
1: feel like I just got that hand. Yeah. No frame of reference whatsoever, so we're yeah. going to move right yeah, past we're not, that. We're not yeah. playing to the, to the, the U.S. audience yes, right we're now, we yeah. so, I
4: watched
1: yeah. in the U.S. All right, <laughs> well, we're going to move right past that. So here's the question for you, because again, we're talking apps, right, in your world that you live. The thing with Marcus, there is no app. There's nothing on the mobile side, right? This is a yeah. pure play. So, I mean, when you look at that and the success they had, what lessons do you think there are there? I mean, to me, that is pretty funny. I think it... Obviously, we'll say it comes back to a value prop, right? Right. And it comes back to active, give a good rate.
4: I, yeah, like so. Those are the reasons people did it. It's so funny talking about this with Bo here. Like, I know. He's just kind of like, can you give me a report card afterwards?
2: Uh, so <laughs> it's a actually, it was something it's that you often, said,
4: by the way. Not at all. No, it
2: is for no. us. He's staring <laughs> yeah. right
4: at me. Uh, he he can't do shit
2: though. We can like slag it off, and he wouldn't it's be able to. Yeah, do yeah he can't say anything. At anything at all. No one me. give that man a bad yeah.
4: thing. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: Which is,
4: uh, it's really hard for humans to forget what you know, and so I think it's actually easier for GS as not being in the consumer banking industry, not having existing infrastructure around that, not having kind of dogma and legacy products to offer, to be able to actually ask the customer questions and listen and then build the stuff that they're telling you about. Whereas if you're a bank that maybe has some of that infrastructure, already serves that customer, you think you already know the answer. You think you already have products that you can kind of put bells and whistles on and retrofit into the new problem. And so you know, app or no app, like you know, who cares? Um, I, you know, it's a weird thing to say coming from the business that we're in. But ultimately, how do the customers want a bank? Uh, there's probably a group of customers who do want an app. And who knows? Maybe there'll be incremental value in it. Um, build what customers are telling you that
2: they want. It's a weird thing that you have to say that out loud, isn't it? You know, like, do stuff customers like, and then, like, they like it. Like, it's
1: weird, isn't it? You know, it seems so obvious, doesn't it? Organizational
4: dogma is very strong.
1: Yeah? Well, yeah, I find it incredibly curious. I'm in the room itself just out of, and I know it's a podcast, so they can't see this, but maybe a woo. If you work for a bank, like a woo. Some really honest Okay. Let's yeah. oh, do yeah. yeah. that with yeah. some enthusiasm. You have work for a bank, a little? You can tell you all work for a bank. That's all I'm getting. <laughs> that's it. All right. We'll move on past that. Um, New York. One thing I think that's interesting. Let's move on to a, a, a different story, if you don't mind. Um, when we look at New York... And you look at the U.S., London, you're going to argue over and over again, is the fintech capital of the world. Sure. All right, whatever. Um, In the U.S., eh, whatever. Um, In the U.S., obviously, I think we're going to say New York, right? But you look at the difference between Silicon Valley and New York, and it's something we want to kind of set for our audience that listens. What makes New York so attractive from a fintech standpoint to want to start a company here? I'm really going to look right at you, Angela, for that one. Why New York and why not Menlo Park?
5: Um, well, part of that is because I live here. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not for other people, but
1: so, for me. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that, was such a, that was such a New York answer, because I live
0: here. <laughs>
5: um, but I think, I think part of it is uh, the, there's, a, there's a couple key things that make starting a fintech business in New York really successful, and one is the talent. So you get people with some training in financial services who understand how whatever the you know whatever the business you're trying to start, so for me it's a lending business, you can hire people who understand lending, have done it, but wanna work for a company that's doing things differently, yeah. an earlier stage company, and then also proximity to, again, this is specific to my business, but to the capital providers. Um, and so one thing that's nice for um, lending businesses in New York is that you have a lot of equity investors who understand financial services and who can be, if they invest in your business, really helpful to you in terms of being able to help you scale, but also the debt investors. So one of our debt investors is Goldman, actually, their their, um, their urban investment group, which was um, part of sort of one of the impact funds at Goldman. But it was, you know, I just have to hop on the subway and go down and say hi to them as opposed to um, you know, getting on an airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would, I would say, to me, those are the two kind of obvious reasons. Um, and then probably the third is that New York is the best city in the whole world. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow.
1: I, I love that mic drop so much, I'm going to move on <laughs> not give anybody a chance. The one thing I will say, believe it or not, there is talent outside of Silicon Valley in New York. Uh, would you not agree, Melissa? I do Yeah, it's... Here's the thing, though. I, I, I agree with all the points Angela
3: made. Here's the other thing that's interesting, though. Ninety-five percent of venture capital in the U.S. goes to the two coasts. Yeah, There's, but the majority of the population is actually not there. They're just very spread out, mm-hmm. right? And so it is an interesting thing to think about over time. Also, why I agree with all her reasons, and as a almost two-decade New Yorker uh, who's taking you know pate and uh, literally fried chicken from a German deli uh, home on the plane with me today, I certainly <laughs> uh, you know feeling like New York is the best. Here's the other thing, though. At at some point, we have to think about, much like Silicon Valley started to have happen, at what point are we outpriced, right? So this is the financial services capital of the nation, and therefore it makes a ton of sense to be here. It's the same reason when I got an MBA at Stern, but it was in finance. Why would you not? You're right by Wall Street, and that's what we're doing. Uh, But over time, we're going to have to look at that and, and what are the opportunities and where should more venture flow and how do we actually help more fintech startups find a way easier to other parts of the country that might enable actually faster investment and more and scaling faster because the cost of living, the cost of actually growing might be a little bit different.
1: And we're seeing so many different cities, right? I live in Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> Northeast, yeah, somebody. <laughs> Yo, Yo, yo is, Yolanda Piazza, CEO of CityFindDuck, just gave me a woo because she lives there too. We're the only, and John Froese. So the three of us represent <laughs> wow. Jacksonville. There's talent in Jacksonville because you just named three people that are really smart.
2: <laughs> well, no, no. Two and but, a half people that yeah, are really I, smart. Just,
1: Stop I, it, Ron. I was
2: going to say the talent are here because you three are here, right? Like, yes, it's
1: exactly. A, yeah, but there, there is talent. There's talent spots. Jacksonville, Austin, Iowa, right? Chicago. And and there's, there's more than life outside. Sorry, Angela. New York and silicon valley which does make it interesting though talking about new york because i'm sitting next to two british dudes which (laughs) i think is quite funny up here so i want to talk a little bit about the british and europe coming to new york so koki that was like my throw out to you to take a mic up that way um we are blessed in the audience right now because we have um one of my favorite writers we actually have two of my favorite writers we got Jim roost from the financial brand but we also have ron shevlin um, from cornerstone sitting back there who um, has been writing quite a bit for Forbes lately, and I think is um, if you haven't been following him, one follow him on Twitter, but also follow the stuff that he's writing in Forbes. He had a great article, I think, just this month, on how to succeed as a challenger bank. And we're going to give Ron a couple of chances to talk just briefly about what points he sees. How do you succeed as a challenger bank in the U.S.? Because we got Revolut, Monzo, n Twenty Six all coming to New York. Ron.
0: Thanks, Sam. Away. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate this opportunity to kind of share some thoughts with you guys. Great to finally meet David Breer in person after ten <laughs> years. So this is—you uh, see, is I'm like, not as bad in real life as I can make out on social, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of geeking out at the moment. So this is like you know fans, wow. in the uh, show now. Yeah. Uh, you know, can I like ask you questions? You know, <laughs> never mind. Uh, so this, the first thing I think you've got to remember about challenger banks, whether they're coming from the UK or whether they're homegrown here in the U.S. Is that the overwhelming? I mean, the overwhelming majority of people who are doing business with challenger banks in the U.S. are keeping their existing bank accounts open. Yeah. They are not switching. They are not moving. They are accessorizing their checking account with neobank, challenger bank, digital bank accounts. Yeah. Why are they doing that? Generally, for one or more of three reasons. Um, And none of those reasons are they want a a branchless bank. That's not the reason. They want better interest rates, that's why they go to Marcus, thank you very much. They want better debit card rewards, they get it from a number of places, or they want better personal financial management tools, and those tools have to be demonstrably better than what the existing banks are offering. So there's gotta be a value proposition, and that value proposition cannot be we have a better experience. And I've interviewed and I've seen interviews with the guys who are running uh, N26 and Monzo coming to the U.S. and they all think that the large banks are doing a lousy job and the large banks in this country have over a 40% market share of millennials. They are not doing a lousy job with with, with their mobile banking and digital banking efforts. So you've got to have some value proposition that gets people into the fold then you've gotta make a big strategic decision. Is your growth going to be about that one little service and you're gonna grow and be if that, all that? Or are you gonna to try to become the primary bank, the primary focus. And if you're gonna do that, you gotta get in other products and you better have some good value proposition for doing it. And number three, you gotta scale. And the idea, and I've heard this from these guys, they say, yeah, you know, we're gonna rely on word of mouth. Well, that's not gonna do it. You're gonna have to do some good old fashioned TV and, and in print advertising. Chime's going to spend close to $30 million on TV advertising. Aspiration's going to spend 20 to $25 million. Uh, by my estimates, um, Market spent $80 million on advertising in 2017 and double that in 2018. So, Bo, am I anywhere close? Am I in the market? Am I in the... <laughs> oh, shoot. oh, man. He didn't do this. this my so. one chance, you know, my Woody Allen chance. I just happened to have Bo here. Um, so there you go. You got to have the value proposition. You got to scale. You got to uh, be able to figure out the strategy. And to, and to back that up, by the
1: way, and again, read Ron. Follow Ron. He's really good. Same with Jim and the financial brand, but his points are dead on. We saw this in the UK with Monzo. Monzo ran a television ad. So did Starling. And I thought both really good. And they saw their numbers jump incredibly up there, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, to, to back up Ron's point though, even in the, in the UK where we've got a current account switching process where you can switch from, you know, bank A to bank B in seven days, and it will take all of your standing orders, all of your direct debits and everything, People just don't do that shit. So, like, actually, it's it's kind of one of those ones. It is an accessory. It's a slightly better experience kind of around the side of these things. But that doesn't mean that loyalty isn't created with it. And if I'm honest with you, I, I honestly don't think that the banks should be scared of fintech because they're going to take all their customers. I think it, it actually shows them the way to a better place. Because if they can do, uh, you know, in three weeks what it will take, Uh, maybe to get the meeting, to have a meeting about the thing that you would want to do in the first place, then that's the difference there. You know, fintechs can do with less people, with, you know, 1% of the spend, uh, actually what it takes a big bank to do something in a year. So Uh, let's
1: uh, uh, let's see if that's true. I want to back it up. Angela, you've worked for Amex, you've worked for Citi, right? And you've done your startups. Would you agree with that comment?
2: I mean naming none of them
1: specifically. No, no, no. They're all fantastic yeah. companies. Yeah. But would you agree that you're able I, to move a hell of a lot faster? Yeah, you
5: can move faster in a startup, but I think I think it there's more mm-hmm. than just like it's more than just a lot of people. It's there's also like regulatory yeah. considerations that as a bank you have to comply with that when you're a startup and you're only doing one thing.
2: Focus. You don't
5: have to, but I I think um there's I would say the other thing that's kind of interesting is How important is it? So if you are a startup and getting this product uh, out is like the matter of life or death Mm. for the company, and everyone that's sitting around the table has significant equity in that, you're gonna move a lot faster than if you work at a larger company. And at the end of the day, maybe doesn't matter as much, either to the company itself or to you personally. Sure.
1: I'm gonna look at you, Chris, because two companies now, Venmo and now Button. Would you agree with that?
4: Yeah, uh, you know, on on everything she said. So, equity is an important motivator for sure. Um, alignment of visions really, really important. Um, my guess is most folks who work at banks may or may not have a super clear idea of why it's really important that we do this thing, and people do better work when they do. Um, I think for everything related to challenger banks, I try and remember that we're evaluating the story at the end of the first chapter. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you make a dinky little app, it's really easy to understand your engagement and retention in 30 days. If you make a bank, it's really hard to understand mm-hmm. what the lifetime value of kind of your engagement with customers is going to be even a few years in. So, today very much accessorizing, but we don't know what the 10-year story of that is. Like maybe you gradually like the next time you get a new job, you're like, "You know what? I'm going to put my other bank in as my like direct debit deposit." And you move more and more stuff over, or maybe you don't. I don't know. We're right at the beginning, and it's it's hard to say what people are going to do long so, term. In my opinion.
1: So, Melissa, I'm curious. If you didn't know, Melissa constantly get recognized as one of the top women in banking, one of the top leaders in banking. So, you've had a very successful She's career now as well. It's yeah, great. she is, and she buys great bagels and chicken yeah, from some good. German <laughs> place, um, which she'll tell us at the end where that is. But I'm curious within large organizations because you were at Citi at Fifth Third. How do you get the team motivated to deliver quickly?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. And I'd give a huge shout out to um, to Yo, uh, who's in the audience, who's the CEO of City FinTech. Part of it is actually bubbling bubble wrapping yourself away from the rest of the organization and actually just winning the hearts and minds of the people that are driving that forward. And that's a huge part of it is that allowing the naysayers to just say no out on the outside and actually working to win them over as you prove business results, just like a startup would do. And so treating your situation like you're, it's live or die every day, even though you don't have equity. And, and there are Models that various companies have looked at, both that I've worked at, about whether or not you could put equi- allow people equity into the thing you're starting within a large company. It's very difficult for a variety of reasons. So how do you actually win people over in that way to feel like that? And that's a lot of it. The second thing is changing the mentality into, um, as you know, as stated, it's not it's a small thing. And actually, I have several of these right now in my corporation. They're small to the bottom line, but they're gonna be big over time. And so, how do you actually plant the seeds and actually keep watering? them, keeping the team motivated. I I have a situation right now where I have a fantastic team working on on an amazing savings app, and they're worried every single day about users, about about everything you should worry about, right? In the grand scheme of the P&L right now, it's not going to make or break the bank that I work at, but it is going to make or break the bank in five years because it's part of the future of where the bank is going to go. And so it's that balance of having that go get them, having that we're a startup within, and not having an us-them culture. And that is a very, very difficult situation in a large bank. You don't need a cool kids versus the not-so-cool kids, or at least you don't need the not-so-cool kids to know they're not so
2: cool. I mean, that's an interesting point as well, because I think to to back up both those, it's like, in a startup, everything is opportunity, right? It's all like new frontier. You're trying to find like in a in a uh, an incumbent organization, everything's a threat to somebody, right? This is like the way I do a thing, and like my PL and like all of these things. So actually, it's it, it is. Um, I was at a big bank in the UK for six years, and it was like at least eighty percent of my time was took up. Convincing people what we should do rather than doing it. Whereas in a startup, you're like, oh shit, we need to do things. And you know, 99% of the time is actually spent sort of executing. But again, it's like the impact that you can have in a you know a Goldman Sachs or a city for millions and millions and millions of people is just so different. And and I think that's where you have to kind of use the, the opportunities to motivate people, because it's like the small things have massive impact at that scale.
1: So this is a good segue for us, by the way. And, and it, Ties back to large banks and fintechs, because um, i got to get this pun in here. Our next section, we're going to talk about new skins and legacy cores. Sorry, we are going to go there. Um, when you look at a lot of these fintech players that are coming in, right? In the U.S., from a core side of this, so the banking core, it's really been limited to a couple handful of players, right? And it's been that way forever and a day. Um, we're seeing more and more new entries come in. Maybe 11FS might be doing something like that with DNB um, in the Nordics, so building out a new digital platform, you know, like that. How I built that in there. That's come talk team to team us. Like we'll it. talk to you about it. Um, but we've got other players, right? You've got Temenos. You got um, um, th- several other groups that are that are doing this. That is not a simple task.
2: No, I, th- I think I mean the the core of banking is. Um, is difficult for many of those organizations to kind of get away from because fundamentally what we're talking about is not a technological problem, it's a business model problem. Um, Big tech companies, is there anybody from a big core banking so, we love so, you. You're like, great Before people. I get in, like this, this high horse for a little while, I just want to know um, who I Like make eye contact if you're here. You know, like, uh, <laughs> um, we don't the, mean The problem thing. is it isn't really about the technology. It's like the business models that are being predicated there. They're selling multiple monolithic architecture. They're wanting to sell in silos so that they can fix your lending problem and then move on to your credit card problem that shares 70% of the same capability, but then they can then sell it to you again. Um, so actually, I, I think there's so much that sort of needs to change in here. Uh, equally, I think many of the big tech players have got the same problems when it comes to the, the sort of Jack Henrys and Fiservs and FAS. They've got the same problem that actually the big incumbent organizations have, which is those silos within their organizations and the way in which they work just are predicated back out in terms of their customer base. So it's really, really hard. You know, it's going to have to
1: take real, real big investment for those guys to make a big change. And I'm not sure they're ready to make it. Well, our, our producer has a question here, which I actually love this one, so I'm going to look at Chris and Angela for this, because it's very American-focused question, right? Again, we're a London-based company, but obviously operating in the U.S., but I like this. What, what are American fintechs' secret sauce? Oh, my God, that is such a wide-open question. So let's talk about New York fintechs. W- what would you look at? Other, I know the distinct advantage is, one, hiring people with banking experience that are here, but is there really something that makes us any different than, say, London, Singapore, Hong Kong?
5: It's a big market, you know. That's, a
1: fair, that's a fair answer.
5: I mean, the, the, <laughs> U, the U.S. is a really big market. Yeah. US, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, it helps. It helps. Yeah,
1: you're not catching a train and going to Birmingham and back to London the same day, right, as someone who lives in Jacksonville or Cincinnati. The sheer scale of the U.S. is massive.
5: It's massive. And I know if you're a
1: big Asia person, I get it. They're freaking big. I get it, okay? But still, the U.S. is pretty damn big, too. It is big.
5: It is big. I think that helps. And I don't know. I mean, I think that there's uh, kind of back to the original point. There's a really large and robust financial services infrastructure in the U.S. that, like, produces a lot of people who are really smart who understand the industry. And, and then um, some of those people, I'm included in that, and probably a lot of other people here, uh, choose to take the training and knowledge that they had and go start their own thing with it.
1: Um, what, what I don't know. I don't I'm <laughs> curious. I, I, we talked about this before, so I already know the answer. But I'm curious, what <laughs> yeah. was the trigger event? Because it is, I mean, when you're working for Amex, when you're working for City Goldman, I mean, take your pick. That And especially in New York, right? What's the trigger event to say, I'm going to do this startup thing? Because I can tell you as a 50-year-old who joined a startup, it took me a year to convince my wife.
2: Wait, you're 50?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, let's do that again. I'm, yeah, Sam. He is. But, he is, but, not
5: but, me. Yeah. It's, it's Sam not Mall me. is yeah, 50. Angela is
1: incredibly <laughs> um,
0: Yes, yeah. Just <laughs> so you know which yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just that to be lead, clear.
1: Right? I mean, prior to Venmo, Chris, where did you work at? Or is it right into Venmo? Uh,
4: I worked at a software company here called Animoto. Uh, ironically, I think the answer to why I went to Venmo is kind of an answer to your first question, which is, <coughs> and I, I never went to the banks, and this will probably be in this, but New York and America, frankly, are a great place to make fintech products, because there is such a broken existing thing. that. So when someone told me, hey, come work on. at Venmo, I was like, why would I work on that? The banks do that. Because I came from the UK, where the banks do that. Mm-hmm. And it's free, and it's instant, and it's real time. And like, who would want to go build something to solve that problem? <laughs> And then I realized, actually, it doesn't exist. And when I wanted to send money, I'd pay $30 and go to a wire transfer. And I was like, OK, cool, yes, definitely a problem. I actually think there are unsolved problems here created by a legacy ecosystem that uh, we have a great, and as you put it, large market to go solve them for. And out of it, building some best-in-class technology that hopefully then
1: we can take to the rest of the world. So, so Melissa, what's wrong with you? Why are you still working at a bank? What the hell? <laughs> Well, w- I mean, honestly, why? I am curious. I why really stay there? I'm
3: that you didn't finish Angela about why she left, but I'll start. Yeah,
1: there. I want to know that story. story. there's a drink coming she, after yeah, that. I'm not gonna everyone's gonna... over your podcast,
3: but I want her answer back. So, uh, I, here's the thing: I actually, what I live my life for, personal purpose, is to enable the lives of others. And I actually think that, given actually the share, right, that right now, even though people start banking at at, at fintechs or at other providers their actual day-to-day, their primary bank is still the bank, right? And we have to do much, much better for them, and we have to bring better holistic solutions. But being part of their living ecosystem and enabling the life they want to lead is really exciting for me. And then I actually believe in transforming the entire way it works. The reason why the fintechs are incredibly successful in the U.S., and they will continue to be, is that the banks have actually uh, had a broken system, right? As, as, As stated. And they don't have great user experiences and interfaces. And people want simple easy, seamless, and they want it secure and safe. And that's what's being brought. And so the banks have to wake up and get there. But also look at this. In the U.S., about 80 percent of banks partner with at least one fintech, right? So there's opportunities. And, you know, I I go back long enough now at 45, right, to know that there was a time that we called the PayPals and the others our enemies. And then we moved into the frenemy stage. And then we moved in to talk about partnerships, right? And then we all started to talking about, let's partner, let's buy buy from you. Then we'll figure out if we should build on our own. And that's the place, I think, that we're all collectively going to have the most amount of success, is how do you, as the large incumbent institution, really in solving those problems, Bring the best solution to your customer, no matter who is providing that solution. But own that customer experience and own that relationship.
1: One of my favorite stories um, actually is, goes back to City. I keep coming back to City FinTech. Sorry, guys. But Carrie College, who had been at PayPal for like 10 years, was kind of a legend in the space. And I was going to do an interview with her. And she's like, can you hold off? I'm changing jobs. I can't tell you where I'm going. But when I do, we can do the interview. And I'm like, oh, this is cool, right? AI company or uh, who God knows where she's going to go and then it's announced that she was going to City, and I called her up and I go what the hell is wrong with you I mean that in a nice way but why and she said the reality is if I want to change this I think changing from within there's a massive opportunity to do that and I, I did like that answer right and like you said Melissa there's you can come at this from multiple directions but we've got to move on because of time so we've looked at the biggest apples in New York we looked at new skins what can come next What's stopping some of these newly planted seeds from sprouting up to come to the next big apple tree? God, that's great writing, I love that. Our last section, this is called The Future, Forbidden Fruit, and the Next Apple. And I, I honestly did come up with that line, so nice. that was my fault. Um, the, the forbidden fruit. This thing I think is pretty interesting. Um, we talk about this, now let's get back to the US, the OCC, all right? So we had a Fincheck Charter, we had direction from the regulators to say we will come out and do this. Um, that we would look at fintechs and allow to get them charters and then here in New York, we then had, no, 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 stop that, you're back to 50 states being regulated across that. Um, Melissa, as someone who just got a national charter and you're looking at, what kind of joy does that give your heart? Do you think we're actually, from a regulatory standpoint, gonna be able to make movement here? What what what
2: happened as well? Did it come through like exam results? Was it like a like a letter <laughs> in the post? It was like you got it? Like uh, it is very. Official, like was it nice? No,
3: Frankly, it's a very lengthy process, and there's also the Fed. The Federal Reserve still regulates any Bank. That has the OCC in certain things, but there is a bit of a it's not you, it's us, right? Like like switch around <laughs> that happens. A lot of you know various marriage and and breakup quotes that happen to just get everybody feeling good. But um, here's the thing: I actually it's, it's very, but it's very interesting. First of all, to watch the OCC and the situation in New York and the ruling that's come down, right? Which frankly goes back to a document that probably no one in this room has read, uh, myself included, related to the National Bank Charter and the way things work. Uh, it does make it very difficult for fintechs, just like it did for the company I work at. As you go state by state, but more importantly, let's come back to where we started. It actually makes it very different, difficult for the Americans, because what happens is, if you are a client that has accounts in multiple states, there are potentially different rules that you are under. There are different policies that you are under because you are being uh, regulated in a, in a different way across states. And and as, as the company that's doing business with an individual, you're not going to say, well, it's the regulator's fault. You're going to take a credit. You're going to take the accountability for that and figure out how to do better. Overall, if a fintech, you know, if the OCC can, you know, go through and, and get in a different place, we'll, we'll see. I, I I frankly don't think it limits the scalability of fintechs in the U.S. Because I do think actually the path is eventual partnerships that allows everybody to scale in the way to bring their best uh, assets, their be- their best offerings forward. Uh, for us, it's a really great thing, especially from a depository standpoint, right? That doesn't mean that we're looking to put a branch on every single corner in America, but it allows you to just operate in a different way, and it simplifies certain things, but frankly, it complicates other things.
1: How, how does that make your life with Climb Credit? I mean, is that something you have to look at, too, state to state?
5: That's how we, that, that is how we operate. We have a lending license in every state.
1: Well, that's joyful.
5: Well, where, where we need one, we charge pretty low APRs, so there's a number of states where we're exempt based on the rates that we charge. But there are some states where, like, Nevada is an example. You can't lend there unless you have an office with a full-time employee. So that is where our student success team is located. Oh, that's awesome.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Like, just in the middle of Nevada.
5: No, they're in Vegas. And and they're amazing. And um, it's, you know, it was a decision we made early on. Like, do we want, just like, we've got a map, and every state where we lend is purple, and every state where we don't lend was Black. I don't remember what color it used to be, and it was like, "What do we want to do about Nevada?" And at some point, it was like, "Looks like we gotta get." Well, they didn't have WeWork, so it was, "We have a Regis there."
1: Hmm. Regis is still. No, no offense. If they were no, for Regis? I'm there sorry. There's was no they're WeWork. Still Regis?
5: There was no WeWork in Vegas. They're 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 opening one now, but there was not one.
2: I mean, don't worry. Soon there'll be none anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I have to drop the rework, but anyway. Uh, so yes, was- we, we were in a, re- and, and we have, we have uh, seven employees
1: there. All right, I'm going to go to Button now. All right, I'm mean, going back in your Benmo days. Is it nice not being tied 100% to financial service? You do have financial service um, partners and customers that you deal with, but you also have, can you name some of the other customers, for example, that you have or partners that you deal with?
4: Yeah, sure. We work with uh, most of the 200 biggest brands in America uh, on the retailer side, so your Ubers, your Amazons, your Walmarts, folks like that. Um, on the publisher side, you know Samsung, Ibotta, Ebates, a lot of the rewards providers there, um, Acorns, Moneybox. Um, I feel like someone in our
1: PR teams like, why isn't he just? <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'll help you uh, out. Uh, Uber, Walmart. That was Walmart. a decent list. Yeah, yeah. it was good. It was good. Yeah. Chris is living the, the best life. Let's let's be honest.
2: I, I mean, it's it's interesting on the regulatory side of things because I, I don't think any I don't think any states come out and gone no fintech like, no. we don't believe in it. But it or like actually from a Fed perspective, they're not going like, you know, we're not going to do it or we are going to do it. It's like everybody seems to think like competition is a good thing and everybody seems to be into like new ways of providing good service to to customers. But there seems to be an argument of like who like in the dance partnership, who's leading and who's like following essentially. Like it seems to be more of like an ownership thing than like whether it's a good idea or not. Right. I
5: don't know that that is how I would describe the state lending what, license. What like the
2: tango? I it's mean, like, I was stretching it. No, it's bit like, it's like you're like
5: going to every state and like, talk, and they're like, wait, what do you do and why? Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I I actually think at least again, this is from like the lending regulation when you go state by state. I don't even think they even like are thinking about a f- fintech company sure. versus they're just like send us your annual report and like. <laughs> I, the form, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of forms. <laughs> it's a lot of forms. It's a lot of forms. But I don't think that they would. Um, even think to differentiate. Yeah,
2: I mean that. That's where I guess um, I don't want to. I'm, I'm and again playing very much to the UK listeners at this stage in this. So like back me up here, okay, dude. Um, Is like that's <laughs> definitely where like I, I think Europe and the UK has had an advantage I because the FCA and the PRA and the Bank of England have been so progressive in that space, where it has created that. Uh, you know, competition mandate is like a real thing. And actually the, uh, the, the ability to kind of pull those things forwards to, to create that urgency both in the big organizations but actually to, to create the opportunity for, for FinTech, I, I think that's a, that's a big difference.
5: I would agree with that.
1: I'm curious, Melissa, from your standpoint, because I've made this comment on stage before. From a regulatory standpoint, in the US, we, we're very good at getting in our own way. And I, I do feel at times we're <laughs> a decade Behind, if you will, whether we're looking at the UK, whether we're looking at Asia, um, that's not true. Faster payments are coming. Oh God! All right, Fed now. Anybody think we're actually going to get faster payments anytime soon? I got a lot of eye rolls. 16. Faster
0: payments have been here. Thank you,
1: <laughs> Fed now. Right comes out after we've had the solution for what? Since 2015, I think is when it rolled out. Yeah. So it's not like it's something that's new. But would, do, do you think we are? behind, if you will, that it's impairing us from staying at least on par.
3: Yeah, so I actually don't. Um, I, I I've actually, I mean, I've worked globally for a long time before the place that I'm at now. Um, I've I've been incredibly involved in and impressed with where several different um, countries and regions have gone regulatory wise. I would agree that the regulations in the U.S. don't always keep up with what we're doing or what we're trying to go. But I don't actually see it as something holding us back. I frankly think it's companies and, last times the large ones uh, holding us back. Right? We're in our own way. To your point, it's not the regulation or the government in our way. And frankly. Some of the rules that we have are caused because some of the behaviors and 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 actions that happen from some of the 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 companies that many people here have been employed by, and so in that way we caught up to make sure that we were doing better for Americans. But the regulations aren't holding us back; we're holding ourselves back. And as we ch- chart the right path with the right partnerships with the regulators, we find ourselves in the places we need to go.
1: We literally just had four rows in the audience nodding and like cheering silently because <laughs> they don't want to get in trouble with their company. But just so you all know, what she just. Just said obviously is on point. All right, so last question, and this is probably a good one for everybody to take notes on and write these down. Um, from tiny seeds grow mighty trees. What will be the next big New York fintech story be? And I'm going to make that U.S. story. So there's actually a quote by Mark Cuban, that guy, which said the next trillionaire will be an AI entrepreneur. Actually, the first trillionaire will be an AI entrepreneur. And AI gets a lot of hype and everything else. So if you were to start from scratch right now, and I said I can give you the funding and we'll work away across what would you start with if you say climb credit i'm going to say stop it you're not allowed to say your company that you have now if you're to pick one space it's fair come on where would you start
5: i can't imagine working on anything else right I now i
1: love i love fintech found i love tech I founders personally
5: but i also really love the problem that i'm solving and i think that the that the uh, industry that I support and the, and the people that I uh, am serving uh, are what motivate me every day and I wouldn't want to build a company that did anything else.
1: I feel so good right now, because I have four kids, by the way, that have to go through school and do all this so the focus in that area, to me, does mean everything. David, from your standpoint.
2: I mean, for me, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier on, really. I think the um, core banking space, I think, is like where most things are kind of broken right now. And actually, the fact that it's you know, $30, 40000000000 billion companies that are sort of holding the, the stranglehold on that industry, if I was going to put our money into it, that's where I'd be putting our money.
1: Chris, you serial entrepreneur you, what would you do next?
4: i going to find a more creative way of saying I won't do anything except my current company. Uh, so <laughs> They are listening. Button is listening. The, um, the way people shop is changing and the way people discover things is changing and the level of expectation that we have on influencing the people around us is changing. Social networks have changed us forever. Um, the way that we actually shop in real life has stayed stuck for 15 years. You go to retailers and you browse around and you click and you add it to a cart and you... And I think there's really interesting disruption to be done. And this is where it kind of segues into what we're doing um, in helping reimagine the way that people shop, the way that they discover um, influences like capital I, like, you know, people roll their eyes at. But fundamentally, there's been a shift in the expectation of how we discover things. Like, things aren't sold by Kobe Bryant going on TV and featuring it to 100 million people in broadcast anymore. It's 100,000 small interactions of someone with 10 other people and commerce hasn't really kept up with that. So I'm super interested in that problem. Um, I think there's big, big disruptive businesses to be bothered.
1: All right, Melissa, if I could peel you away from a bank, finally, (laughs) what would you do? Where would you start, what area?
3: You won't like the answer, but I, I would like actually I would go after transforming consumer healthcare in America.
1: I think uh, that is a great <laughs> answer. Amazon, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm um, all in on that. that.
3: If I if there was another industry to truly work on transforming and solving the problem for uh, for for individuals, it, it's healthcare. Not just in terms of government uh, assisting, but we our our processes, our systems are incredibly broken, and we do not focus on the patient and the care the patient needs. We focus on all the forms and the bureaucracy and the did your insurance pay or do you owe me money and things like that. So for me, that's it. But to your, if I stayed on FinTech, and I'm not just doing it because of Mark Cuban, I actually think FinTechs, New York, and, and otherwise in the U.S., but especially New York, they are kicking the butt of, of every single major bank when it comes to AI, and they're doing it in fantastic ways, whether it's on contracts, uh, on Know Your Customer, um, and on improved fraud detection and, and prevention. They're doing fantastic work, and if I was going to put a dollar somewhere, that's where I'd be putting it, because the core systems of banking are so hard to change, and the fraudsters are getting smarter and smarter and more sophisticated and have more money invested in them than anybody can imagine. And that's the place that I would focus is AI because I think it's actually giving you the game changer
1: for all of us. Okay. So for all of you kids that listen to this podcast, all two of you, AI, there you go. When you're going to go to school. All right. That's all the time we have for the show. I want to thank every single one of you for being on here. And one thing we always ask is where's the best place to learn more about what you're doing? Angela, starting with you.
5: Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, and you can learn more about Climb at ClimbCredit.com.
2: David? Um, Twitter or the bar afterwards, that'll be fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do like that answer very much. Chris, uh, the bar after, I'll, I know Chris, so I'll we'll go ahead and say that, but where else, Chris?
4: Uh, at Chris Madden on Twitter or at Button. And we also just today uh, launched a new white paper on how fintechs and Button work together. So at usebutton.com, you can go read that if you're interested.
1: Uh Nice shout out. Very good. Melissa? LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn or the Newark airport in about 30 minutes if she runs for a (laughs) flight. Um, As for me, Sam Maul on Twitter, um, the 11FS page. Um, again, I want to give a huge shout out to the production team. For those that are here, you've seen all the moving parts. It's ridiculous how much work goes on so that David and I can read an iPad and look like we're incredibly bright. So to <laughs> Pat, to Laura, to Laura, to Koki, to all of you guys, and to the team back in London, again, thank you for making us look so good. Find out more about 11FS at 11F. Oh, yeah, clap. New York, give them a shout out. Um, For those of you here that are sitting, make sure you get your T-shirt and your swag. Um, If you want to find out more about us, go to 11FS.com. Check out FinTech Insider on Twitter. And, of course, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice. Uh, there's going to be pictures and videos out there on Twitter of everything that we did tonight. You might see yourself. Um, lastly, if you love us, go out to Apple iTunes and give us a five-star review. For those of us that do podcasts, that's everything. It means everything for us. We, and give us feedback. We love hearing for, from you and where we should do shows. New York, I swear to God, I love you so much. Thank you for coming out. <laughs>